the Apostle Peter was a piece of work. He was a disciple of Jesus who he kind of never knew what was going to come out of his mouth. He was impatient, quick-tempered. He was insecure, unstable. You never knew what was going to happen with the Apostle Peter. Sometimes he was boasting with pride about what a great follower of Jesus he was. And sometimes he was in the, the depths of insecurity. Peter was one of those disciples who you never knew what was going to happen. It's funny how insecurity manifested itself in Peter's life. And for Peter, this disciple of Jesus, sometimes insecurity looked like boasting pride, and sometimes it looked like plunging into despair at his future. And it's funny how insecurity looks like both of these things. It's funny how pride and insecurity often go together. Well, Peter is this overly confident disciple. He was one of Jesus' first followers, one of the first people that Jesus called out to come and follow him and, and travel around in ministry with him. Peter was one of the three who was closest to Jesus. Out of the 12 disciples, he was in the inner circle of the three. Peter had been a fisherman. He was business partners with two brothers named James and John. They owned a fishing business. And it was out of the fishing industry that Jesus called Peter to come and follow him. And so he had been doing so for three years. We come to the place in scripture today where we pick up the story of Peter after three years of following Jesus. Jesus calls Peter out of fishing. And he says, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisherman of people. Go and catch people. Peter becomes this disciple who we see, we, we know lots about Peter because he's all over the Bible. He's always talking. He's always speaking up when he shouldn't. He's always saying things he shouldn't. He's always saying ridiculous things. He's always volunteering to be the first to go to, to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's, he's the one who's always just quickly jumping to make himself first, and he's jumping to protect Jesus, and he's impulsively speaking things all the time. And all of these things, this impulsive Peter, who's just trying to find his way in life, all of these things bring us to today's focus of the last few days of Jesus' life on earth. And we're going to look at Peter and what the experience was like for him during the days of Jesus' betrayal, death, burial, and resurrection. We've been in a series called Hungry, a study over the last few weeks called Hungry, in which we've explored this, this last week of Jesus' life and times when we have seen Jesus be hungry. Jesus be hungry for us to be close to him. Or people being hungry, hungering and thirsting for closeness with God. And so today, we have this picture of Peter, who you'll see will be hungry for Jesus and vice versa. We begin with an event called the Last Supper. This is the last meal that Jesus and his 12 disciples share before Jesus would be, be arrested and betrayed and handed over to be killed. And no one else knows at this point that it's going to be the last meal that, Je that Jesus shares with his disciples. Jesus knows it, but the disciples don't know that yet. And so Jesus begins to tell them that things are going to happen, bad things are going to happen. In John 13, we see that Jesus was troubled in spirit 
And he says, I tell you the truth, disciples, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Peter then speaks up, and he said, who is it, Jesus? Who's going to betray you? I'll take care of them. I'll make sure that doesn't happen. Who's going to do this? And Jesus kind of answers it in one of Jesus' kind of roundabout ways, and he says it's Judas without actually saying it's Judas, and, and the disciples don't fully understand what's going on. As we will be piecing together different accounts of the life of Peter through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we'll be jumping around between these four books and putting together the the life of Peter today. In in the book of Mark, Jesus then follows up after Judas leaves the Last Supper, and he tells the disciples, you will all actually fall away. He says, not only Judas will let me down, but you will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now let me just pause there. Because we know the rest of the story, we understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back to life. But the disciples couldn't understand that at this point. All Peter hears is that people are going to fall away and leave Jesus. In verse 29, Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I'm here for you, Jesus. I am here for you. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. He couldn't even comprehend. He says, Jesus, I've been with you three years. Who do you think I am? Jesus, I'm courageous and bold. I will go with you to the death. Peter doesn't know how to handle this awkward moment, and so he does what those of us who are sometimes awkward and insecure do. He just keeps on talking. (laughs) And he says, I will. I insist. I will be faithful to you, Jesus. I will walk with you. I will do whatever you need. I'm with you to the death. There are a few observations about insecurity that I'd like to address today. Here's the first. Insecurity can lead you to boast. Sometimes we think of insecurity as making you kind of shrivel up and just not talk anymore, and sometimes it does do that. But insecurity can also function in the other way of leading you to want to overcompensate, to start saying, well, well I, can, I can do this, or, well, I'm, I'm better than that. I'm more than that. It's both insecurity that shrinks back and insecurity that turns into boasting are both, this, are both ways of being self-absorbed, focused on ourselves. Whether we're self-absorbed to the point of, I'm, I'm so nervous, I don't want to say anything to other people, that's self-absorbed. Or boasting, I'm so great, that's self-absorbed. Both of them focus on how strong or weak we are and what we have in our own power to do. And so Peter says, I will never fall away. And Jesus says, okay, we'll see about that. Well, they end the Last Supper, and they travel then to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's nighttime by this time, and we know from the scripture that the scripture tells us that often Jesus went to lonely places to pray, and often he would do this at night. We need to, uh, and so he goes, he goes and he prays at night. It's, it's dark, it's cold, it's, it's still, it's evening, and he tells the disciples, all right, 12 of you, you, you pray right here, and then he says, Peter, James, and John, my inner circle, you three come with me. And he says, and you pray, you pray here a little bit closer to me. And then he says, I'm, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to pray. Mark 14 says, 
Jesus says, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he tells them, my soul, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He says, I'm not doing well. I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. He says, I need you to pray with me. He says, stay and keep watch. Keep watch. It says he went a little further and he fell to the ground. And he prayed, if possible, God might take this hour from him. He says, please, let me escape this. And then the scripture tells us he returned to his disciples. And after this impassioned request to please stand with me, stand by me, pray with me, he finds them sleeping. And he picks on Peter. (laughs) He goes to Peter and he says, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? So he wakes him up and Jesus goes back and he prays more. He comes back a second time. They're still, he's like, I need you. I need you. I imagine him kind of like kicking Peter a little bit. Come on, Peter. He goes back and he prays. A third time he comes back. Matthew 26, verse 45 says, Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the time has come, and I'm being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, get up, let's go. Here they are. And John chapter 18 tells us that Judas then came into the grove along with a detachment of soldiers and officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they were carrying torches. You could see these fiery torches coming into the dark night of the Garden of Gethsemane. They had lanterns lighting the way and they had weapons. There were swords and knives glinting in the fiery light. And as this ominous band of people came to Jesus, Peter jumps to his feet as Peter does. And the scripture tells us that he pulls out his sword, he draws it, and as they come forward, he slices off the ear of one of the people. Now the, people that he, the person he sliced the ear off, his name, we know from another, another gospel that his name is Malchus, who was one of the servants of the high priest. Now, I don't know what Peter's aim was. I don't know if he was trying to cut an ear off of a person or if he was trying to stab someone and missed. I don't know what he's trying to do here, but he is trying to do something to defend Jesus. I mean, he had told Jesus, I'm going to stand with you, and he's, he's trying to stand up in the moment to do that very thing. So for whatever reason, whether he tries to or not, he slices off the ear of Malchus. The ear falls to the ground, and Jesus is like, no, 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 Peter, that's not what we're going to do. He, he pick, Jesus gets the ear. He goes to Malchus, this man who's coming to be part of this, this gang that's going to arrest Jesus. He goes to Malchus and he takes that ear and miraculously reattaches it to his head. And he doesn't stop there. Jesus then turns to Peter and in that moment that Jesus is getting arrested, rebukes Peter. It says, Peter, this is not what we are about. If I needed a miraculous deliverance, I could have gotten it. You are not helping me. Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And so after that miraculous healing happens right then and there, the soldiers still have the guts to arrest Jesus, to handcuff him, and to lead him away. And Matthew 26 tells us, Then all the disciples deserted Jesus and fled. They fled. They take off running into the night. 
not wanting to be roped into the drama with Jesus. Insecurity, this is the point, second point, insecurity can lead you to do things that have the appearance of courage but are actually foolish. Peter looked like he was being brave and strong by pulling out a sword and slicing off that ear. He was putting on a show of strength. But insecurity leads you to do things that are foolish, things that have the appearance of courage but are actually not. Peter is impulsive. Peter is insecure with what he is supposed to do, and his insecurity leads him to foolishness. Now, I can imagine that of the people who were surrounding Malchus, who saw his ear be sliced off, I can imagine that they had some feelings about that. I can imagine they weren't just standing there passively as the ear is sliced off and then Jesus does this miracle and that then they felt nothing. I imagine they have some feelings about it and that those negative feelings were pretty well directed at Peter. And it makes sense that Peter goes running. Jesus is not happy with his turn of events and says that was foolish, Peter. Well, all the disciples go running, but Peter and John don't go running too far because we know that from the scriptures that Jesus then is taken to the home of the high priest. And it's at the home of the high priest that Peter and John trail him, and they eventually get there as well. It must have been just a short way off, and, and so they hid and followed at a distance. We read that Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. This other disciple we know is John. And because John is known to the high priest, John went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought people in. So John says, hey, hey, you guys know me here. I'm John. I'm all good. Uh, my friend Peter, can he come in too? And so this, the servant girl comes to the gate, and she looks Peter up and down, and she says, you're not one of his disciples, are you? That's a pretty simple question. And she's just a servant. It's not like she has power over Peter. But in that moment, Peter suddenly finds himself very insecure. What if they find out? What would happen? Will he get arrested too? Will they pull swords on him as well? And suddenly he finds himself very insecure, and he finds it very difficult to give an honest answer. Insecurity can make you want to twist the truth a little, can't it? He's afraid. You're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Verse 18, it was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. He, he's kind of keeping it quiet. He's holding back. He's just, he's trying to, he, he sees Jesus over here. He's just kind of trying to keep warm in the moment. And, and while he's doing this, the high priest is questioning Jesus, asking him all sorts of things. He's drilling him down. The, the temple official gets angry with Jesus' responses because Jesus is responding to things at this point. He becomes so angry that he, pun he strikes Jesus in the face. Peter witnesses this. As far as we know, Peter has never witnessed Jesus be, be struck in the face before. He's seen people be angry with him, but this is, this is next level. It must have been incredibly horrifying for Peter to see this. So he's standing by the fire, witnessing these very disturbing things. 
And then he goes out to the gateway where another girl, Matthew 26, verse 71, then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. Another girl, this time at the fire, but this time instead of a one-on-one private conversation at the, at the gates, like the first one was, this is public. And this girl says, hey, hey, he, he was with Jesus. And he says, I don't know the man. We don't know what the oath was. It was some, something that doesn't, doesn't get translated in, in the scriptures. But he, he says an oath, I don't know him. And then a third scenario happens a short time later. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, Malchus, relative who has a bone to pick with him, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? And others chime in, surely you are one of them for your accent gives you away. Peter is being found out and exposed and that insecurity is making him want to just shrivel up and die and fall into the ground. Verse 74, then Peter began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. In this moment of intensity, Peter's calling down curses on himself. It's this dramatic emotional display. And somewhere in around a rooster crows. Peter has a moment of recognition and he looks up and he sees the eyes of Jesus trained on him. The failure is in right in his face. Point number three, insecurity can lead you to compromise on what's really important. We think that when things really matter, we're going to be able to rise up and do what we need to do. But when we have this nagging insecurity, when we're not sure about who we are or what we're doing here, when we're not sure about our relationship with Jesus and where we stand with him, when we're not sure how he feels about us in that moment, when we're not sure what we're supposed to be doing, we can be led to compromise on the things that are really important. And it's at this point in the Gospels that we lose track of Peter. All the Gospels then go on to tell about how Jesus went through a trial, how he was arrested, how he was beaten. All the Gospels talk about Jesus carrying his cross through the streets of Jerusalem, how he was then crucified, how he died on the cross, and who was there and, and, and who wasn't. And Peter's not in any of these stories. It goes and it talks about how, how, how someone unknown, an unknown person, we've never even heard of Joseph of Arimathea before this moment in scripture. None of his friends are around to, to take Jesus' body down and bury him. Peter's certainly not there. Je- Peter's missing for all of this. Because number four, insecurity can lead to missed opportunities. Peter misses everything. 
And so Peter goes through that horrible Thursday night into Friday. He goes through the horrific time of knowing what is happening to Jesus. He goes through Saturday knowing Jesus is dead, this man he has followed for three years, this man who he pledged his life to. Peter was the first of the disciples to say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that you are divine. And, and Jesus says at the time, Peter, this has been revealed to you by heaven. Yes, yes, this is true. This, this one that Peter had followed and given up his job before. He gave up fishing. He gave up his whole livelihood. He gave up being with his family. He gave up everything to follow Jesus, and now he's dead. And I can only imagine what Peter's Saturday was like. Second-guessing everything. Was Jesus who he said he was? Would it have been different if I didn't let him down? What if I had stayed and defended him with my sword? Couldn't I at least have not have not denied him? Couldn't I at least have owned that I was with him? And he's racked with regret and guilt and shame, confusion, and insecurity. We don't know if he slept that Saturday night or not. Probably there were a lot of sleepless nights right around here. But we do know that early Sunday morning, it's possible he was still staying in the upper room with, with the other disciples because they had been gathering there over, over these days. But early Sunday morning, Peter's, Peter's home, and he hears a, a, a quiet knocking on the door. And he opens it up, and it's one of the women who was also a disciple of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, one of the women who followed Jesus. And she said, Peter, Peter, wake up, wake up. I was just at the tomb, and Jesus is not there. She said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Peter jumps up. He and John together jump up, throw their clothes on. They run. They run, and they run to the tomb. The Gospel of John is written by the Apostle John, and I think it's really funny that in this Gospel it says that as the two men were running, John made it, John ran faster than Peter and made it to the tomb first. It's almost like he had to kind of like fit that in his story, like Peter and I were in a race and I won. And so John gets there first, and he gets there, and the tomb is open, the door of the tomb is open, and there is not a body in there. There are clothes that had been wrapped around the dead body that some are on the floor, and, and then the headpiece is neatly folded up, and John stands there looking at it, and Peter does what Peter does. Peter doesn't stand at the door of the tomb. Peter just goes right in because that's the kind of thing that Peter does. He goes in and he picks up the cloth and he, the scripture says he stood there wondering, wondering what had happened. Peter and John, well, the day goes on. They begin to hear stories about some of the women saw Jesus. Some of the women saw angels. They saw Jesus appear. They're hearing that he is alive, that he has come back to life, and they, they just cannot fathom what on earth is happening. And so Sunday night finds the disciples gathered in the upper room, and they're all gathered together thinking, what on earth has happened? The doors are locked, the scripture says, because of the fear of the Jews. They're, they're afraid they're going to get arrested. They don't want to be crucified. They, they've, they know about crucifixion. They do not want to be crucified. So they're afraid. They're trembling. They're upstairs in the this upper, upper room, not knowing what's, what's going on. And Jesus, on Sunday night, appears to the disciples, and he says to them, peace, peace. I wish we knew what the conversation was like then. I wish they recorded a little bit more in the Bible of what happened. We don't know. We just know that, that Jesus stood among them and, and commissioned them and blessed them. 
And then, uh, and then Jesus isn't living with them at this time like he was before. So he, he kind of disappears. He kind of comes and goes. The post-resurrection Jesus kind of comes and goes through the scriptures. And so a week goes by, and it's not until the next Sunday night that then Jesus, the disciples are once again gathered in the upper room, and this time Jesus appears to them again, and he speaks to them. Jesus has now appeared to the 12 disciples twice. So, some days pass, some time pass. The disciples have seen him twice now. And, and through it all, there's this, there's this joy of resurrection. There's this joy of something really big happened here that they don't completely understand. But Peter still has a problem. Peter still has a problem. He still has the insecurity. He's still not quite sure where he is with Jesus. In the encounters of Jesus with the disciples, you don't hear Peter saying a whole lot at this point. It's that guilt and it's that shame. It's the whole fact that Peter's last interaction, his last face-to-face interaction with Jesus was when the two of them were staring at each other with the rooster crowing and Peter knowing that Jesus stood there witnessing his failure. When we fail, God witnesses it, doesn't he? Insecurity, number five, can affect your ability to have a a secure relationship with Jesus. I think this might be one of the hardest things about insecurity. Because not only do we wrestle with insecurity with other people, but we, we wrestle with insecurity with our God, the one who made us the one that we are worshiping, the one that we're looking to. Insecurity can make you doubt your important relationships and can drive a wedge in your relationships. And so, so Peter knows, I'm really glad Jesus came back to life. I'm really glad. But the resurrection hasn't quite fixed everything for him yet. The relationship still isn't quite right. He's just not sure where he stands with Jesus. He's just not sure if he's forgiven. He's not sure what Jesus might be holding against him. He definitely still feels unworthy. He definitely feels guilty. He feels disqualified from following Jesus. And I think, church, that we've all been there at one time or another. That feeling of, I'm just a little insecure where I stand with God. I have let him down. I have not been faithful when I needed to be faithful. I've been kind of MIA for a while. And I I just feel a little bit out of sync. Like, I I just don't feel like I'm in in sync with God. The relationship I have with God isn't what it once was. I, I wrestle with guilt and shame. I feel disqualified. And I think there are a lot of times when we feel insecure with God for lots of reasons. Maybe you've been disconnected from him for a while. It's, kind of, it's not like you like gave up your faith, but maybe it's just kind of been on the back burner. Maybe it's not been a priority for you lately, and you just kind of feel aware of things are kind of different right now with you and God, and, and you want more, and you're not quite sure how to get past that insecurity. This is the heart of the issue. All of our insecurities eventually connect with our relationship with God. And the thing is that Jesus is our only solution to become more secure as people. 
Even if our insecurities with other people, not necessarily with God, Jesus is the only one who's going to be able to fix this thing. There's no amount of self-help that is going to help you figure out insecurity apart from Jesus. There's no amount of logic that will help you sort through it. There, it doesn't matter if you've got lots of friends giving you compliments about how good you are and good things that you do. That is not going to get to the heart of your insecurity problem. The reason is this. Our security or our lack of it is rooted in our sense of identity. Who we are, our sense of purpose, and what God has designed us to do, what God's made us to do in this world. Only God, your maker, your creator, the one whose image you are made out of, made in, you are made in God's image, only God can restore your insecurity problem and give you a new kind of confidence that's rooted not in your ability or lack of ability, not in your pride, not in your shame, but rooted in your identity of who God sees you as. Only God can do that for you. So Jesus and Peter, what's next? <laughs> Jesus is kind of coming and going out of Peter's life. Peter's not fixed yet. Peter's unsettled. Peter's trying to figure it out. And we eventually see that Peter doesn't know what to do. And so he goes, he, he, he gets some of the other disciples together and he says, I'm going fishing. I'm going to go back to where I came from. We're going to go fishing. And so they go back to the beach at the Sea of Galilee, the place where they used to fish all the time, back where he had been called out of three years prior. They go back there, and he, he says, I'm, not, I'm going to go out to fish, and some of the other disciples say, we're going to go with you. I'd suggest to you this final point about insecurity. Number six, insecurity can hold you back from your God-given purpose. Insecurity can hold you back from what you're supposed to be doing. You, you know that you, have been, you exist for a reason. Your life is here for a reason. God made you on purpose. He has you alive on this day here in March 2023 for a reason. He has a purpose for you. He called you into being. He put life in your body because he has a purpose for you. And insecurity can thwart that. Insecurity can tie us up and can slow us down and can keep us from living into all that God has for us. So the disciples, <laughs> they go fishing. They get in the boat and they fish at night because that's what fishermen did. They fish through the night and they fish all night and they don't catch anything. John chapter 21 tells about how there's a strange man that they don't recognize who calls to them from the beach. He's standing on the beach and the strange man calls to the disciples across the water and he says, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they should have had a clue right here. They should have known. Oh, oh, this sounds familiar. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. Peter makes a beeline for the beach. He's not sure where he stands with Jesus, but all he knows is Jesus is around sometimes, and he's not sometimes, and he wants to make it the most of the situation. He is going to get to Jesus and do whatever he can to get in the presence of Jesus. John 21, verse 9, When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. 
Here we have Jesus sitting around a fire, cleaning the fish, having the bread, making breakfast. The last time Peter was at a fire with Jesus, things didn't go so well. And here we have Jesus making breakfast, saying, come and be with me. Let's spend some time together. Let's restore relationship. And I can just imagine that in this moment, all of Peter's insecurity is hanging over his head. He's not feeling totally clear yet. He's still anxious about this whole relationship with Jesus thing. His failure feels like a flashing neon light. All the disciples had heard him say, Jesus, I won't fail you. And all the disciples knew that he did. And his failure just hangs over his head. Where does he stand with Jesus? But something shifts here at breakfast. Something is shifting. Jesus takes the food and he gives it to them. A quiet morning by the sea. The crackling fire in the morning cool. The smell of the baking fish. And Jesus says, eat. Let's be together. And I imagine Peter thinking, is he going to say anything? Is he going to bring up the rooster? Is he going to bring up the sword and the ear? Is he going to bring up the time when we made eye contact? Is he going to bring up the denial? Is he going to bring up the fact that I wasn't there when he was on the cross? Other people were there. The women were there. John was there, but I wasn't there. Is he going to bring that up? And when the moment presents itself, Jesus says, Hey, Peter, let's talk. John 21, 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? You said you loved me more than everybody else. Do you truly, do you truly love me? Peter said, yes, Lord. You... And this time, Peter doesn't say, I will stand with you to the death. This time, Peter doesn't say, calling down curses, you, calling down oaths, you know that I love you. He, he says, Jesus, you know. You know my heart, Jesus. You know that I love you. Jesus says, called you. Feed my lambs. I have a purpose for your life. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the scripture says Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt. Three times he denied Jesus. Three times Jesus is asking if Peter loves him. It's not a coincidence and Peter knows it. Church, when Jesus probes the point of our insecurity, when you sit at breakfast with Jesus, when you sit in his presence and you 
you let Jesus speak to him and you listen, you let Jesus speak to you and you listen to him, he will often probe that point of pain and it might hurt. That's where the good work happens. That's the kind of work that Jesus wants to do. And Jesus will press into that point of pain until he brings healing. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Jesus says, you're insecure. That does not change my purpose for you. You failed. That does not change my purpose for you. You messed up in the past. That does not change my purpose for you. Peter, I love you. And you've just told me that you love me. Feed my sheep. Do my work. You're part of this. There is a purpose for your life. Don't let your insecurity, don't let your own self-condemnation keep you from what I have for you. Feed my sheep. Peter's confidence begins to be rooted in Jesus and who Jesus says that he is, not who Peter says he is. And church, no one can make you have more self-confidence. There's nothing that I can say to help you get past insecurity. I can't help you get there. Nobody else can help you get there. There, is not, there are not enough compliments in the world to make you feel good enough about yourself to get past your insecurity. Insecurity is something that is affected deep within our identities, and it takes the Holy Spirit of God speaking healing to us, speaking truth to us, helping us discern truth from lies, helping us to receive truth rather than embody lies, the scriptures tell us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we begin by learning what the scripture says, by letting this, the scripture speak to us, by letting the Holy Spirit of God speak to us, and listening to what God says about who we are rather than what we are convinced is true of who we are. The insecurity that Jesus wants to deal with in you, whether it's you're unsure about where you stand with him, is something that only he and you can figure out together you need to have breakfast. And I don't know where you're coming from today. I don't, I don't know if you're back at church for the first time in a while. Maybe you're here all the time. Wherever you are in that space of, of your connection with God, whether there's shame or guilt or unsurety or chronic insecurity, that's something that if you press in, if you spend some breakfast with Jesus, listening to him, he can speak to you about who you are, why you're here, and what he has for you to do. Peter went on to do all the things Jesus said he would. When, Peter, when Simon Peter first started following Jesus, he went by the name Simon, and Jesus came to him and said, the very first time he called him, he said, I'm not going to call you Simon anymore. I'm going to call you Peter. Peter means rock, because you are the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Rock is a funny name for a person who's racked with insecurity. And Jesus says, you're the one, Peter. You're the one. 
Jesus can move. Jesus can use you. Jesus can do these things. And Peter goes on to fulfill this, this what Jesus says he's going to do. After, after 40 days, of, after Jesus was resurrected for 40 days, Pentecost happens where the Holy Spirit is given. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter goes out on the streets of Jerusalem, the very streets filled with people who had just murdered Jesus 40 days prior. And he preaches to thousands of people who were part of the crowd that had shouted crucify him. He preaches to them and 3,000 people become believers that day, repenting of their sin of turning Jesus over to death. Peter then goes on and he speaks to the Samaritans and he brings, he helps them understand that the Holy Spirit is coming to the Samaritans. Then he goes to the Roman centurion, this is later in the book of Acts, goes to the Roman centurion Cornelius who believed, that, who believed in Jesus and was also filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Peter becomes part of the church to the Jews, to the Samaritans, to the Gentiles. And it is on him that this church begins to be built. God is calling you. God has a purpose for your life. You exist for a reason. The enemy would love to use insecurity to bind you up, to stop you, to make you believe lies about yourself. And he will want to keep you there as long as he possibly can. But Jesus has truth and freedom and a future for you. And so, Lord Jesus, we come to you today saying, do it, God do it. You see me in my failures. You see those of us who feel disqualified from serving you. I'm not that good. I can't pull it together. I've let you down too many times. If there, in church, if there are some of you today who would say, that's me. I, I feel disqualified. I feel like I've just failed too many times. If that's me, would you just lift your hand? I want, I want to pray for you in just a moment. Lord Jesus, You've chosen us. You have called us. You know the name of each human being on this planet. You see our lives. You know what we go through. And Jesus, you have called us out of darkness into your light for the sake of your kingdom and for your purposes. And I pray, Jesus, that for those wanting to be freed from this curse of insecurity, from this bondage of insecurity, I pray that you'll give them the gift of breakfast. That your spirit would bear witness with their spirits that they are children of God. And we ask for this deep, miraculous, and healing work, knowing it is not something that we can fabricate in human skill, but it is only a gift that can be received by our incredible God. Lord Jesus, have your way. Amen. Amen. Amen.